You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Sam Ben Ruby from The Grape Nation. We had an opportunity to go down to the Naples Winter Wine Festival and talk to a bunch of different winemakers. This interview is with David and Callum Powell from Powell & Son Winery in the Barossa in Australia. Welcome to the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network, your weekly wine journey. We are at the Naples Winter Wine Festival, benefiting the Naples Children and Education Foundation. Our guests are David and Callum Powell from Powell and Son Wines in the Barossa Valley in Australia. I'm excited to have these guys on because they're doing some great stuff and making some incredible wines. And I want to welcome David and Callum to the Grape Nation. Thanks for coming on. I think it would uh, be a good thing if you guys spent a few minutes with a little background in history. Now, David, I know, you know, you started as a lumberjack in Scotland. I mean, we could buzz through that quickly. But, yeah. you know, let's get to the wine thing and talk well, about that. That, that. that part of it was important because that's actually where I met a little Scottish girl who become, ended up being Callum's mother. So Who became your wife, yeah, right. Yeah, so at the end of the day, that's um, probably, you know, where it all began in a way. So anyway, went home, ended up starting Torbrick, long, long story short. Um, ran Torbrick for 20-odd years. What, uh, just context, what year did it start? About? Uh, well, officially the first wines were released in uh, 97 from the 95 vintage. Started the business about 92. Right. Getting vineyards, making wine, stuff like that. Um, then some years later, uh, 2013, I left, uh, left my own company. That's a long story. Um, but the silver lining was that um, my elder son had always been pretty keen to get into the business. He used to follow me around like a bad smell when he was a kid. I'd, when he was three, I'd turn around in the winery and tread on him. So he was always there behind me. And so he, Callum said to me, he said, Dad, you know, I didn't really ever want to take over Tilbrook anyway. That was your gig. So let's start together. So we, Callum, were you doing any other wine things? I mean, did you travel, do uh, harvest or intern? Yeah, I you did. Know, so cut your teeth? At, at that stage, 2013 was my gap year. I just finished high school the year before. Okay. So um, I was actually lucky enough to go and work in Hermitage for a guy called John Lee Sharp. So I spent about 10 <laughs> Kind of right there. to the top, right? Absolutely, yeah. So that was quite incredible. So that really left it was pretty impactful impactful for me. So is it obvious, because Australian wines are known to be Syrah, Shiraz-based, mm. that you send them to Hermitage, to yeah. Syrah? Yeah, of course. I mean, wine with as you say, if you speak to California winemakers who make Syrah and the Shiraz, you know, that's the that's the home. I mean, that's not where the grape came from originally, but certainly these days, where we've last 500 years, that's where we think of the variety coming from. Right. And John Louis and his wife Erin are very dear friends of mine, and but not just that, um, 
you know, the Shah family are the family of Sarah. Really? And I wanted Callum to go, you know, in, in the new world, people use terms like Tawar and Vigneron as marketing terms. Right. But they have no fucking idea what they really mean. Right. But I wanted True. Callum to go to realise, sorry, you said I could swear, is that okay? Yeah. I, I won't use my favourite word in the, in the English language, yeah. that might be a bit much for your I wouldn't but, tell you if you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I wanted Callum to learn that that was the real thing, that it actually meant something. So you start, well, let's go back. So you're at Torbrick for a bunch of years yep. with high critical acclaim. Yep. You know, Parker fell in love with the wines. You really stood out in Australia. I think you helped, I don't know if the words put Australia on the map map again, well, but yeah, I, I, think, mean, it was, I think you were one of the one impetuses of, yeah. of you know, really sure, turning out and, and, and not necessarily in the most traditional way. You mm-hmm. know, you as a personality, the type of wines, all of that stuff. So like you said, that comes to an end. Um, you can go on Google if you want to find out more. So what was it? Around 2014, you guys pretty much kicked up Powell yeah. and Son. That was the first vintage. That's right. So you said earlier, the inspiration is, listen, my kid's into this. This is where I came from. Let's do it. Tell me more about that. Well, it was interesting because... Um Callum came home and I, you know, was having all sorts of legal stuff to sort out and it was kind of messy and stuff. I had to actually stay out of it until 2015. That's a long story I won't bother going to. <laughs> Everything's but, um, a long story oh, with you. Oh, God, trust me. <laughs> I don't know what I did in my former life. Trust me, I must have killed someone's cat or something. But I, um, uh, you know, when Callum came to me, he didn't just say, you know, Dad, let's do so together. And he said, I'm not just coming for Rod. I want to be an equal partner in this. So he talked a lot about um, what we were going to do as far as the wine style we wanted to make. Uh, Callum then proceeded at the ripe old age of 19 to tell me what I'd been doing wrong at Torbrick and how I could do it better. And trust me, he's probably one of the few people on the planet that's actually told me that sort of stuff and lived to tell the tale. But he was right, you know, talked about the freshness of the wine, how we could, the elevage, how we could age the wines, how we could do it differently using larger format oak rather than smaller Good, new, and fresh, sort of different stuff. perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. So your dad told me before the interview that he would give you three minutes of amnesty and he asked me to ask you that if you're not enjoying this or you made a mistake that on this show you could leave okay. the winery okay. do you want to stay or go I'm i mean are you happy, happy with this happy. okay so we we got that well the interesting thing is he's, he's, now that he's come home from university he's decided that even though callum designed the label and everything um, he's actually desi- decided that Pep should be called Powell and Father rather than Powell and Son. Oh, so here we go. So I don't, think, I don't getting, think he's going anywhere. Getting big balls early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think he's going anywhere. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's talk about the wines. I mean, um, is it fair to say you guys are Ronists? I mean, a lot of the wines that you make are Rhone varietals. Yeah, well, we are. It's, it's a sort of very strange coincidence. I mean, the Barossa Valley originally was planted to make wine, make fortified wines. That was where our industry right. came from in the 1800s to supply the English market, which was, we were still a colony. So it just happened to be a very happy coincidence that the, the most populous varieties planted in the Barossa, which is where the whole thing started for us, um, and Australia as the fortified supply to the UK, uh, the varieties they planted were what we call Matara and Vedra, Grenache. Right. Shiraz was actually the poor cousin, funnily enough, because it wasn't the best fortified variety, whereas things like Grenache and Shiraz and were better. other ones were better. So it just happened that and then with no phloxera, as you know, a lot of your listeners may know, no phloxera in the broth. Right. hundred and something Which years later, a, we've got uh, these amazing old vines. So. Plant disease that could knock well, out. Well, it's a little aphid that basically yeah. attaches itself it's to the roots and sucks. Fly, it. well, right. It's like a little aphid, but it right. attaches aphid, itself right. to the roots and sucks all the goodies out, yeah. So, because, you know, I just double-checked my research and you look at a lot of uh, wineries in Australia and they don't have the diversity 
of Rhone varieties. You know, it's the typical. I mean, you really, you know, stretch out. Well, once again, I think it's a, a climatic thing. I mean, the, um, you know, Shiraz, Syrah, whatever you like to call it, is quite versatile. So you can make it in really hot places like the Australian Riverland and make right. pretty good commercial wines. Then warmer places like Barossa Valley, McLaren Vale, but you can make it in cooler places. I mean, there's some great Syrah. I say Syrah um, intentionally because it's more that style coming out of Tasmania, which right. is quite cool. So whereas things like Grenache Matara, you try and grow them in a cool area, you'll never get them right. So that's probably why right. we have that, you know, sort of concentration of those varieties. So as far as the source of the grapes, um, you're sourcing from outside sources. You, yeah, we, we don't I mean, own any vineyard. But is we that lease. an aspiration? I mean, oh, absolutely. You, you have your eye now. One, one on, thing at a time, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I get that. And it's I, not I, an I easy, cheap proposition. I literally left my own company after 20 years with a shirt on my back. So, right. yeah. so we're sort of... But, you know, winemakers are so particular, you want to have control over your own. Exactly. And, and that's really, you know, we had a long time to kind of sit down and think and talk about what we wanted to do. And one of the things that both of us are really big on is... Any vineyards that we were going to deal with and make wine from, we had to have full control. And not only that, but we did all the work ourselves. And so we've now got six vineyards that we deal with, and all of those vineyards, we do the pruning, we do all the summer work, everything ourselves. So you have control of them. That's the whole point. I mean, they're partnerships you're paying, but... Yeah, yeah, that that was the part of the thing. So that's the closest thing to... Yeah. Having a partner that'll let you, you know, do yields and, that, and that for pruning us was and all that, right? Your style and everything. That was one of the parameters. I mean, we don't make a lot of wine. We make a fraction of what I used to make at Torbrick, and that's intentional. But we only make wine of vineyards we run ourselves. That's not true. There's one grower who was my first ever grower at Torbrick, one of my closest friends. He's forgotten more about dried and <laughs> grape growing than I'll ever know. So we take fruit from him. Funnily enough, even he's, now he's 70s, he's actually gone biodynamic, which is kind of interesting considering he, he left school at 14 and he's wow. semi-literate, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But uh, so that's the one vineyard we don't run ourselves. But as I said, I <laughs> could never right. run a vineyard as well as he does. But and we, we mentioned Barossa, but you also source grapes from the Edna Valley, right? Eden Valley, yeah. Eden or Eden, Eden. Yeah, Edna's down near down near Paso. Eden, so. okay. <laughs> That's all right. No, a lot of people. My bad. Make no, um, no. What are you? What grapes are you growing and vintning there? All right. So in Eden Valley, I mean, it's and and that's the thing about what people don't get about the Barossa is you've really got the two valleys within right. the region, you know. And the Barossa Valley is definitely the style of the Barossa Valley Shiraz is definitely better known. You know, it's a richer, more voluptuous style, and um, you know that comes down to a lot of factors, but it's predominantly the warmth the lower altitude, the lower rainfall, and you've got a lot of heavy clay soils and ironstone, and you got you get that concentration of fruit. Whereas in Eden Valley, you're generally two to 300 metres higher in altitude. So higher altitude. That's right. You get higher rainfall. It's much cooler. Wetter, you get different very cool soils. Breezes, and the soils, I mean, the soils vary a lot, but as a wide generalisation, you get much more uh, shallow, loamy soils, and then a lot of stone and bedrock. So you've got bits and pieces of granite through there, lots of quartz and schist, and so really, really different styles of wine. So, so, but, so characterize some of the styles. Are they more austere or...? Certainly more austere. So they're not as voluptuous exactly, and rich right. as the which, Barossa. Which was our Which point. is a style you don't mind making, I'm sure, or having the opportunity, right? Well, I always kind of say, you know, Barossa, Barossa Valley Shiraz is the girl you want to go to bed with, and the Eden Valley Shiraz is the one you want to wake up with in the morning and take to meet your mum, you know? Get it both ways. I'd buy a bottle of each. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. Somebody once said we should blend the two, which we do in one of our wines. I think, yeah, you've got to be careful what you wish for, though, you know? So you brought up a word before, biodynamic, which was one of your growers. 
So you control the uh, vineyards. What, what's your approach? I mean, are you low intervention? Absolutely. Minimalist? I mean, we, I mean we tell are me actually, about how you farm and how yeah. you vent. Well, that's why we wanted to run the vineyards. We are actually um, farming organically, and we um, quite... Uh, happy to, to accept some of the biodynamic principles. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff, particularly the discipline. I think some of it gets a bit carried away. Yeah. And the biggest like that problem, ram's horn thing? Uh, well, yeah. Well, I, I once actually jokingly said to someone, you know, a white man only turned up in Australia 250 years ago. So before then, there was no cloven hoof animals, so no horns. So and why, forget, na- why now? Forget the fact the grapevines weren't there anyway. So I said to someone, if you want to be a biodynamic farmer and... Um, in Australia, you have to go to a, a, an indigenous burial ground and dig up their didgeridoos and fill it with kangaroo poo. So, you right. know, I think it all gets a bit silly. It's a, it's, it's a little crazy. What annoys me more, though, is that people say, oh, my wine's biodynamic, my wine's organic. Yeah, but is it any good? I don't care how you, you know, as long as you're not nuking it with yeah. chemicals. I mean, the overall idea of sustainable and responsible mm. growing oh, is absolutely. great, but that doesn't mean anything, like yeah. you said. I mean, yeah. you could be a crappy grower, crappy vineyard, you know, you don't know what you're yeah. doing. But afterwards. it's important that, you know, these vineyards have been there a long time, that we're not building up more crap in the soil that was done right. for a long time in the, you know, in the were 70s you, and 80s. Were and you, when you were Torbert? Similar practices? Pretty much, pretty much. Although you, I think you, we're going. You, that was bit, always your belief. It's sustainability, and we're probably working more towards that. You know, at Tilbrook, I've probably used a bit more herbicide and a bit more systemic right, spray. You're doing less. But now we're, yeah, now we're mm-hmm. doing as little, literally, literally as little as we can. Is it more challenging? I mean, are you dealing with more pests, or it's, you, just, oh. or it's a way of life, and you work it that way because it's the better way? You really just have to pay more attention, I think. And that's the beautiful that's thing about what we're doing, is we don't have many vineyards, you know? And so right. we really can pay a lot of attention to what we've got. But I think if organic or biodynamic um, principles can be applied anywhere in the world, they can definitely be applied to the Barossa Valley, you know? It is a dry, warm place, you know, there's really low risk of things like botrytis or rot. So it, it's not that difficult. Whereas right. if you're in a cooler climate, it'd be a much more difficult thing to do. Right. Um, and so for us, it seemed like a no-brainer, to be honest. Right, so let's talk about the wines. The wines are called Powell and Son. You make some uber-premium wines, you know, at... The prices don't scare me or yeah. other people because there's plenty of wines out there for more, and I'm sure the time and everything put into it warrants that. Talk to me about, you know, the wines that are coming to market or in the market. Well, and let's we, talk about, you know, let's do some promotion yeah, here. Sure, where, yeah. You know, restaurants, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, online, you know, stores. We, um, once again, when we, we started the thing, Callum and I talked a lot about what we were going to do, what sort of portfolio we were going to build and so on. And we wanted to make, and it might sound arrogant, but we wanted to, to basically create a Barossa version or Australian version of Domain and Romney Conti. You know, get them six amazing vineyards, make incredibly tuadrum wines, single vineyard, single varietal, and really so the, do a number. Because you're talking Rowan grapes versus Burgundy. Well, yeah, no, talking, I'm not talking no, about... No, no, I know, yeah. I know, but th- what made that brand that brand, the practices are so admirable. Yeah. It's like, let's be the DRC Basically, of... Uh, absolutely. I'm sure Orbit of Lyon would actually um, probably want to throw something at me or laugh at me when he hears me saying that, but I'm just saying, that that's the model, and... You know, I don't. I hope he's not so offended. So on, on a scale of this starting and this being there in your mind, getting to that goal, where are you? Well, I mean, I'm not DRC pricing, but no, I'm not. But, but, no, but no, in no. your mind, well, we are. And I think we're. I think we're already doing it. I mean, we, that's the one of the things that surprised me when I left Torbrek is that, you know, I'm good at what I do. Callum's learned a hell of a lot in a, in a short time for a young bloke. So, 
I um, that's the that's not the hard bit. The hard right. bit's getting the fruit. And I was so happy when I realised how easily it was for us to actually get together a group of a parcel of vineyards that was sort of absolutely perfect for what we wanted. How long so, did that take? I mean, do you have to run around for a year or so? Um, or no, we, well, it's funny because I... You knew people. It's kind of like, yeah, well, well it's, other people knew people and it's sort of like, the Barossa is a small place, you know, and everybody right. knew what was going on. A lot of people Once were very happy got out. what was going on and what right. had really happened and stuff. But the other thing is, apart from that, so that set of wines, which is six wines, but we also make what we call our regional wines. Because we wanted wines that people can drink and enjoy. It's all very nice selling wine to collectors. We love doing that for so silly wait, prices. Slow down for one sec. Go back. The wines we just talked about are the single vineyard wines. The single yeah, vineyard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. everyone makes them cost yeah. a little yeah. higher, special, yeah. limited. Yeah. you know, availability tiny production, and all tiny that. production. Yeah. And then you make a larger quantity, high quality, more available. Yeah, yeah. and more reasonably priced. Right now, remember high, high. You know. I, at Tilbrook, at maximum, I think we got to 100,000 cases. We make 10,000. So when we say, you know, we, we make a, a wine that we only sell in our, our export markets called Riverside, which is a blend of Grenache, Mouvet, Matar and Shiraz, um, that's our, and that, that wine sells here in the US for under $20. We, uh, we make, the 16 we're selling now, we make 3,000 cases of. The 15 that was in the Spectator Top 100 last year, we made 2,000 cases of. So even our volume wine is still right. pretty small. Mm-hmm. What... What do you need to expand volume? You need more grape sources, or you do, you're happy? We don't really want to. Right. We, we need to. It's funny, but do the finances and all that work? Oh for you? well, you yeah, get, that's, well, no, that's, Listen, yeah. that's always a challenge. But if you get things going at that level, I mean, you can. Yeah, only have the if, business only going if, where you want it. Only if we can find a vineyard that we think is appropriate for what we want, because we don't. It's funny. We had a situation just a few weeks ago. Where a very dear friend of mine, sadly, is quite ill. And instead of making wine, he's going to sell his crops. So he came to us and asked if we wanted to buy it. And we were pretty keen because the 18 vintage looks like volume would be down a bit just naturally, you know. Right. Um, and Callum and I thought about it for a week or two and then finally had to say to him, look, mate, we'd love your fruit. We love the way you run the vineyards like we do. But we didn't do it. And that doesn't therefore fit our ethos that we actually want to, exactly. you know, make the wines exactly. ourselves right. in the vineyard. So, so listen. And we're right. not in a hurry to grow anyway. Right. But I think another point of difference as well is the vineyards that we're dealing with I mean, so, so I went and worked away in 2013, you know, I travelled through Burgundy a bit, I went down south and um, to Provence, and what I loved was even, you know, within the Rhone Valley, you've got these different appellations, and the wine styles are completely different, the tradition, the culture is completely different, and I loved that, I really, really loved it, and this is when I was just getting into wine, starting to understand what it was all about. It was a about. good education. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. And so, and then I came home, you know, and a lot of people... Give or take, there's a lot of the same style of wine being made to an extent. Well, there's definitely not the difference that you've got if you go to Co- from Cote Roti to Hermitage. Or right. from Hermitage down to Chateau Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and each region. You know, I saw that in the sub-regions we've got in the Barossa, we could we could do that. We could make these different Your styles. Your eye is more wine. towards that. Absolutely. Take advantage and so of the, the six diversity. single vineyard wines that we have are all from different districts throughout the Barossa and Eden Valley. You know, they've got different soil types, they've got different elevation, everything. So they really are quite different wine styles you know we didn't want to just produce six wines all from the same little pocket mm, of right. that look more or less the same we want a big diversity of what we do right um so we're in the united states you guys are here visiting for the festival we're talking to david and colin powell where and can we 
find your wines? I mean, it may yeah. vary by market. I'm heading back to New York in a few we days. We sell the wines. Um, it's a it's a process, slow process we're going through. So we sell the wines in New York. Okay. New York retail State. or a restaurant or both? Uh, both, both. Okay. Um, we probably very selected because we don't have a lot. Right. You have um, to curate yeah, who yeah. you're going to. And then we're, uh, we're in Massachusetts, so Boston and, and all of Massachusetts. Uh, we're here in Florida. Okay. Uh, we've just signed up with a new agent uh, distributor in California. Uh, only yesterday, funnily enough, you come to Florida and sign up with an old, old friend of mine who's now in Chicago, so we've now got Illinois. It's all happening. And we're hoping to get Texas in the ne- next week, So, but that'll probably be it. You know, with Tourbrick, I used to be in 46 states. You won't be able to states. handle, right. Yeah, so we right. don't want to, and even, you know, when I, I, I the guy we met yesterday, an old, old friend of mine, um, and he said, oh, how much volume? You know, I don't want you telling me how much, you know, you want all this volume to come into Illinois. And I told him, and he sort of just laughed. He said, I'll take it all. He's sort of like, <laughs> right. oh, that's it? Oh, okay, no worries. <laughs> yeah. Can I twist your arm a little? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll take yeah. it. Where do I back the truck up? Um, I wanted to ask you this before I let you go. Um, Australia was very much in favor as a wine-growing country, yep. very popular here. You know, my perspective is from the U.S., even though it's, you know, a global thing. Mm-hmm. Very hot for a long time. And then it seemed like it fell out of favor. Oh, I feel off a cliff, do we? And, and, you know, it's not a coincidence. I guess, you know, you leaving Torbrick, you know, and uh, it didn't help. But why, why did the wine get so hot and fall out of favor? Was it quality? Was you know, it marketing? No. Did it, well, was it vented over the top? Or? There's a, well, yes, there's a combination of factors. First of all, there was a lot of people chasing the scores. Um, which I never did, ironically. I always made the wines made I wanted the wines to make. you wanted to make. But there was a lot of people chasing the scores. There was a lot of those big, gloopy, syrupy, boring wines, a lot of residual sugar, intentional or added sugar for the North American palate or market. Um, the scores just got ridiculous where too many wines got big scores and it got to the stage where it just ended up being a... A carte blanche for everybody. But, but that's Parker style too. You know, he loved the big voluptuous nappies. Yeah, he did. But he, he loved, was a big Rome guy, but and he, he loved, loved my the big. I mean, Bob, no, I know. Bob, I which have is a lot okay. Of time for he, everybody he makes me. that same wine. You got to remember, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. Bob made me before Bob reviewed my wines. Nobody wanted to know. Well, not nobody, but once Bob reviewed Tourbrick, it was like off we went. That's but not- Australia did it to itself. You got to remember, Australia did it to itself. There was one guy in particular actually who did most of the damage. A guy called Dan Phillips, a company called The Grateful Palate, and he was making that. He was in cahoots with one of the guys, the guy called Jay Miller, and you know what? There was a guy in the New York Times wrote an article once about how Jay Miller had scored. 90 of Dan Phillips's wines over 92 points and Dan Phillips had one winemaker making all the wines they just put different labels on them ah, basically that's a good story and that really killed that was that was the, fo- the story that broke the camel's back and then at the same time we had the GFC right but trends don't last you know then it became Spanish wine I think that was over then it was South American wine and you've got to be very careful of trends and that's why I've never followed the trend because you've got to be very very careful that, I, the I point say, is make the wines you want to make not follow yeah, the trends but, I, but it's also you know what your mum and dad would always tell you you know don't put all your eggs in the one basket and I could see the US for us as a, as a market starting to weakened, so I spent a lot of time in Asia. So we, we developed good markets in Hong Kong and China and places like Those that. Those are great emerging So markets. when the US dropped, we had somewhere for, else for the wine to go. Right. But I realised it was never going to I mean, it was just, it was like feeding frenzy. The Parker reviews had come out and people would go, just bang, everything just went overnight. It was just crazy stuff. But I knew that wasn't going to stay yeah. forever. So that was the bad news. The good news is 
there's sort of uh, interest in Australian wine. Absolutely. People my, coming back to the world. Yeah. On my show, I have a lot of sommeliers and other winemakers, authors. I had Josh Green, who's the editor mm. and publisher of Wine and Spirits. Yep, yep. We did a review of the year, and I said, talk to me about you know exciting trends. And unsolicited, he talked about Australian mm. wines. A uh, friend who was on the show, Sev Peru, she owns the Ten Bells, a cool wine bar. Yeah. She's in Australia yeah. for a couple of months, Instagramming every day, yeah. you know, just talking about, you know, how great it is. So those are the real cheerleaders and the mm. real influencers. So do you agree that the path back Absolutely. Is I've there? been back in the market here in the U.S. for a couple of years now. I come, you know, every six months. And you can really see it. And the nice thing is for us is I think the style we're making, especially a lot with Callum's influence, sort of perhaps trying to curb some of my bad habits, <laughs> we uh, are making wines that have a freshness and a you know, great acidity and, 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 and lightness on their feet. And they're still gross wine, don't get me wrong. We're not. But that's part of the but that's, history well, of where the grape absolutely, and the style but, of wine but, is. But we happen to be, I think we're just right on song for where we need to be, the sort of wine. Everybody we're talking to is saying to us, well, this is what Australian wine should be. Now, we're not the only ones making those sort of wines, trust me. Something like the Brossa, it's a bit harder because it's a bit warmer. You've got to work a bit harder not to... That's the idea. Once upon a time, the Brossa was the easy place to get fruit ripe, make big wines and stuff like that. Now it's a place we've got to be careful that we don't end up right. too big. It's one of those, like, right. it can be, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But it certainly is possible. So. Right. Uh, you know, I've been on the website, Callum, and, you know, it does a good job articulating... You know your vision and what you're doing. Good thing you said that he wrote it. Yeah. Oh no, I, 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 that's why I'm looking at him. Yeah. yeah you. Yeah. yeah I'm you a probably don't even remember your password. Yeah. I, mate, I haven't even looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> I have the pictures. Um, so, I think we intrigue some people by having you guys sit here and talk about your wines. If they do want to jump on the website, mm-hmm. tell me the address. It's yeah, sure. It's just www.powellandson.com. And spelled out. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's what and all the wines are you know on there the history talks about you guys your vision and all of that so if you want to know more about uh powell and son um david i'm curious with you when you're not drinking your wines or or even wine or wine what, what else do you drink um well, when I'm not drinking wine, I, I revert to my roots and drink rum and coke. So I'm a okay. Bit of, you know, <laughs> That's what I'm looking but, um, for. Which is why I'm feeling like shit this morning. Okay. I, drank, you know, I think I was still drinking rum and coke. Guy comes to a wine festival. I was still, I was still drinking rum and, rum and coke, coke a few okay. hours ago. So you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, when I drink wine, oh look, from everywhere, I'll drink anything. I mean, I probably don't have the curiosity that Callum has anymore because I mean, I'm a bit of an old dog. But give me a great bottle of Rhone wines, Burgundy, Northern Italian. You know. Anything good anywhere. Um, yeah, great German, Austrian whites. You know, there's, oh, you know. I'm You're drinking more for pleasure. You're drinking more for research. <laughs> right? You yeah. want to exactly. see what's going on. And that's a great thing. You're looking you know. to get a buzz. You're looking to get education. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm okay with that. Well, I don't drink as much anymore either. I'm, I'm getting old. You know, I can't drink as much. Well, I don't want to drink as much. So it's funny. We were actually in... Um, California just recently with Dan Friedman, a friend of ours. I think you've been in touch with Dan, uh, the PR guy. Yeah, yeah, great he's guy. A dear friend of mine. He's a very big cheerleader of you guys. Well, he's a he's an old friend, but Dan, but he articulates what's going on yeah, well. Yeah, well, know. he used to work with Kermit Lynch. Yeah, and, you know, Dan's yeah. old school. He's got the chops. But uh, he invited us to a tasting in LA with a whole group of Soms the other night, and we had what thirty-seven um, Saint Joseph's from the fifteen yeah. vintage. Which I was, love Saint Joseph. Oh, so do I. It was quite an interesting tasting with a, a blind tasting. Usual thing. Cheapest wine got number one. The most expensive wine everybody thought was crap. 
don't... Do you remember? No, I'm not going to say, no. <laughs> yeah. But the interesting thing was um, Callum and I tasting together and we worked out it's the first time we've ever actually done that sort of tasting together. Really? Because I did it back in the day and people used to ask me to show judge and I said, no, that take the fun, suck all the fun out of it. And, but Callum's done a lot of that stuff, obviously, with college and all of his mates at college, but we'd never done it together. So it was actually quite fun That's for fun. us mm. to go you through... you got to do it more, right? Mm. Yeah, and we were surprisingly close, not on everything, but... Yeah, that was interesting, actually. That was interesting. Yeah, you got to get out and do more of those. What uh, what happens after you leave the festival? I mean, are you staying in the States a little, We've, do some yeah, business, well, and then next head back? We're, we're here in this area around here in Tampa and so on to do some sales stuff, the usual dog and pony show. Then we're Texas, hopefully, to get a new distributor, then on to New York, um, then up to eastern Canada, so Toronto, Montreal, then we go into Good Europe. Markets. and. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nice if the government stayed out of it. Yeah, if you get in there, could you? <laughs> I know. But, uh, and then we're on to Europe and then stopping in Asia on the way home. So, and hopefully we'll get home before harvest starts. Otherwise, one of the two will toss a coin. Yeah, with the way the weather's going at the moment, I'm not too sure. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you're not going to be back for a few weeks, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Away for a little while, yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you guys for sitting with me. I think the story is great. Um, I haven't had a chance to taste the wine. I, I, oh, I, I won't me. be uh, disingenuous and say, oh, your wines are great. But, <laughs> you know, when I heard uh, you were here and you'd come on the show, I, uh, you went into overdrive and, you know, got the story straight. And I'm very curious to taste the wines. I'd love to do that. So I wish you guys success, continued success. Hope to see you again. I don't know if and when I'm getting to Australia. But I think I want to come to your part of town and maybe party (laughs) a night with you (laughs) before I go home. Um, So we've been talking to David and Callum Powell from Powell and Sun Wines. And again, we want to thank them. And you've been listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.